Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the best tools, tips, and tricks for sewing mini quilts. We'll also give tips for using acrylic rulers, share stories of quilters making a difference in their communities, and interview designer Christopher Thompson about his fabric lines and design process. Let's dive in. Mini quilts are so fun to make. They're a great way to test out a fabric combination or new to you technique, or they can just give you the satisfaction of starting and finishing a quilt quickly. I'm here today with Jody Sanders, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, who loves all things mini. She's going to be sharing her top five tips for making mini quilts. Hi, Jody. Thank you. First of all, you need to look at your fabric. That's where we're going to start with everything. And when you're making mini quilts, choose fabrics that are like tone on tone or smaller in scale. And if you use a multicolor print with a lot of color changes, once you cut that into small pieces, the print gets lost. And if you carefully piece your blocks, then that big multicolor print is just going to make everything look really muddled and lack any definition. So make sure that you're using fabrics that have maybe fewer colors or tone on tone, and then also smaller in scale. Then once you've picked your fabric, the number two tip I have is to scale down your tools. So most people use a six by 12 or maybe a six by 24 inch ruler to cut their fabrics. But my favorite ruler for mini quilts is a four and a half inch square. Now, most of my blocks finish at four inches or smaller. So the four and a half inch ruler can be used to square up my blocks as well as cut any small pieces. For a mat, uh, kind of a traditional size is maybe an 18 by 24 or 24 by 36. But for minis, I really scale it down. There's a couple that I really like, at six by eight inch mat or eight by 11 inch mat. And if you're thinking about that in terms of size, I know I'm throwing out a lot of numbers here, but like the eight by 11 inch mat would be similar to like a piece of paper. So if you think about a piece of copier paper, that's the kind of mat that you're looking for. And when you um, have a small mat like that, what can happen is it can easily turn on your table. So when you're cutting, you can rotate everything and you're not really moving your fabric around as much and probably get a little more accuracy. And the final tool that I scale down is my rotary cutter. Now normally use, I use a 45 millimeter rotary cutter. So that's usually kind of the normal middle maybe rotary cutter that people are most familiar with. But for my minis, I scale it down and use the 28 millimeter size. So that's a four and a half inch ruler, a six by eight or eight by 11 inch mat, and then the 28 millimeter size rotary cutter. My number three tip is the quilting design. So you've got your top quilt or you've got your top piece and now you're ready to quilt it. So simple quilting designs really enhance those pieced proportions. Things like cables and cross hatching, echo quilting, those all work really well with mini quilts. A feather wreath design really isn't a very desirable design for a mini quilt because the proportion is just all wrong and you probably won't even see the design. So you've gone to all that work to um, put this beautiful quilting on and then you're not even going to see it or it just, it just doesn't look very good. So think about the kind of quilting that you're adding to your mini quilts and the proportion. 
And I machine quilt most of my mini quilts, but mini quilts are the perfect place to give hand quilting a try. My tip number four is for batting. Now, consider using maybe flannel in, in place of a batting or a low loft cotton batting. So you don't want to use a poly cotton um, because what happens is it just looks puffy and it doesn't look very good on a mini quilt. So something that's very thin usually works better and looks better for your final product. And then finally, my fifth tip is with your binding is to use a single fold binding. And I cut my strips at one and a quarter inches wide instead of the two and a half that I use for a double fold binding. The single fold binding is less bulky and the corners are easier to miter and it just lays flatter and looks nicer. So those are my five tips for making mini quilts. So Jody, do you find yourself making more mini quilts than larger quilts? I do. And what happened is there's two things. Number one, I get bored really easily. So in addition to mini quilts, I love sampler quilts because I get to try out different techniques and, and patterns and fabric combinations. But I had so many ideas in my head of things that I want to do that making mini quilts allows me to make small versions of the things that I want to do and then get on to that next idea. We're really fortunate in our business that we get to see so many terrific designs and fabrics and color combos and so we are just saturated with all these wonderful things and as makers we want to try them all and do them all so making small quilts allows me to do that and kind of get that little bit out of my system and then move on to the next thing. Yeah I think we've just seen the popularity of mini quilts just explode in the last few years. And I think it's exactly what you're saying. We're just exposed to so many designs on Instagram and Pinterest that we just want to try everything. We just don't have enough time. And in addition to that, it also allows us to try out color combos and things that we maybe want to use on a bigger quilt. So sometimes I'll even do that with the idea knowing that this is going to become something bigger at some point. But for right now, I just kind of need to try this idea out a little bit and see if I really like it. Now certainly we, there's a lot of computer programs out there that you can plug things into and, and get a look at it, but I think there's nothing like actually having the fabric in front of you and sewn together to really give you an idea of what something's going to look like. Thank you so much for those tips. And if you visit our show notes at All People Quilt, we'll have links to some of our favorite mini quilt patterns that are free online. Now Jody and I will be taking a behind the scenes from the Crafts Lab, a segment where we share a behind the scenes look at what's happening in the office. So Jody, you wanted to give a quick update about our Million Pillowcase Challenge. Yes, and for those of you who aren't aware, we have been making pillowcases and inviting our readers to donate those to their local charity of choice. And we're kind of in the home stretch and really hoping that people can continue to be making those pillowcases and donating them. But the one thing we know is that people maybe aren't um, you know, letting us know that those pillowcases are being made. So we do have a situation where now you can call us and you can contact us and let us know that you have made a certain number. And so we can add that to our counter so that we can get to our million. We're getting really close and uh, we're hoping that you can help uh, push us over that edge. And there'll be information in the show notes. So that'll give you a phone number and a contact person if you want to email Ashley on our staff and let her know how many pillowcases you've made. It's such a terrific program and a really, we know somebody asked me the other day about, oh, are you going to, you know, stop making pillowcases when you get to a million? Absolutely not. We know that there's some terrific groups out there and 
what an important thing that this has been for so many people, whether it's a children's hospital or a veterans group or a daycare facility or a homeless or woman's shelter. There's been so many wonderful groups that have benefited from this particular program. And um, we know that people are going to continue making pillowcases, but we want to make sure that people know how to record them as well. So please take a look at the show notes and we'll get you that information. And I just want to give a quick shout out to Quilt Sampler Fall Winter. That issue just came out this week. And we actually have behind the scenes videos of all of the featured shops online. So it's a really fun way to see more from the shop and get an idea of what the store feels like before you plan your trip. So you can find links to those videos in our show notes. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome to Getting Social with Jess. I'm your host, Jess Ziegler. This week, I get to bring you my conversation with Christopher Thompson, who you might know as the Tattooed Quilter. He is at the Tattooed Quilter on Instagram. Just make sure you put underscores between the words there. Um, Scrap Lab is a special feature of Quilts and More magazine. It's where three different designers get the same fabric and are tasked with making uh, different projects with the same fabrics. Uh, We did not mention our third designer of the Scrap Lab, which is out on newsstands now, and her name is Susan Aki. She is at YardGirl60 on Instagram. Definitely worth looking up to. She's a great designer. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Welcome to the show, Christopher. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me. Um, Could you give our listeners a little background on your personal life, your professional life, your quilting life? Yep. So I live in New York City. I actually live three blocks from Times Square. And uh, my day jobs, and I don't think a lot of people know this, but I work in visual merchandising for Gap, specifically Kids and Baby. Um, I just celebrated 10 years back with the company. Um, But I also have a degree in theater. So I try to balance quilting time, full-time job, and seeing as many Broadway shows as I can. So Yay. What is the next show you're going to go to? (laughs) <laughs> well, I, it's funny. I usually pick one show a season and I see multiple times. Really? Yeah. So last season it was Mean Girls and I saw Mean Girls 15 times. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what it is? It's the, the music is fun and catchy, mm-hmm. but it's also, I get lost and I forget where I'm at and I forget things that are happening in the day and I just have a good time. That's awesome. Um, this season for me, I feel like I'm at... I've seen Beetlejuice the musical three times now. Wow. Beetlejuice might be this season's show. Well, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. So there's something something to that. I love it. (laughs) And what about your quilting life? When did you start um, crafting and sewing and all that? So I grew up in a um, quilting family in Virginia. Um, My mom's side of the family, huge quilters. They did a lot of their stuff too, crochet, knitting, crafts. Um, and I picked up on it at an early age. My first quilt was uh, when I was 15 for a church talent competition. And then I kind of took a break, went to college, got my degree in theater, uh, got my full-time job, and kind of just left it to the side. And then one day I entered a craft fair at work with a boss of mine and decided I was going to pick up sewing again. And um, ended up moving to New York City, bought my first sewing machine. Um, I bought it on HSN because I could make payments on it. <laughs> I didn't even know they sold sewing machines. It was a Janome, very entry level, but it was a workhorse. And um, the Tattooed Quilter was born, and it's been almost six years. Very cool. Uh, so 
we recently worked together, I'm doing air quotes, for the Scrap Lab, which is a Quilts and More segment, I guess. So in the most recent Quilts and More magazine that's on newsstands now, there are three projects that we were two of the designers on and we used um, some of your fabric. What did you think of the whole process of doing the scrap lab? Well, I was super honored that the team asked me to join. Um, And it was a real challenge for me because I use a tight palette of fabric Mm -hmm. when I'm making something, whether it's like one print and maybe some solids or maybe two prints and some solids. So for me to get that full bundle of fabric, I was like, Um, And I actually started one project, didn't like where it was going, and did another project. Mm. And I had enough fabric, and I may not have used all but, I used all but one print, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was a lot of fun, and it really pushed me outside of my comfort zone. And I think when you give yourself a challenge like that, it really does open you up to exploring other possibilities than what you're used to working with. Definitely. And I also love that I didn't know what you were making yeah, or what the other designer was uh-huh. making. So, and of course that was driving me a little crazy because I'm very OCD and I uh, was only thinking about the magazine and going, well, what is this going to look like together? And what are they making? And is it going to match? Right. And I guess it's just the visual merchandising, you know, side of me that's coming out. Mm-hmm. But yep. it's beautiful and I love how it looks. Yeah, the layout is so fun. I, it's always fun to me to see the photography for it and all the projects together. So that was really satisfying. When you design, are you using any software or graph paper or what is your process around that? So I usually don't. Mm-hmm. Um, every now and then I'll, I'll do a design in Illustrator, um, but it doesn't always come out like I've designed it. Here recently, I've been using more of independent designers' patterns and putting a little bit of my own spin on it. Um, Of course, with their permission, I always ask, hey, I'm tweaking this, or I designed my own foundation paper piece pattern that goes with it. But uh, yeah, I've been following a lot more patterns lately. And it used, when I first started, I used to do more improv and more modern, more of the modern side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I've kind of gone away with that and I've done more traditional work lately. And I'm actually not that great at pattern writing. So I, I think I find I'm finding myself learning from how others write patterns. Mm. So it's it's almost teaching me in a sense of what I love and enjoy about what they're doing with their patterns, et cetera. Definitely. Yep. All right. So when you are making the, the topic of this episode is mini quilts, do you have a size in mind when you're starting your quilts or do you have a space of your home in mind or, or how do you approach um, the mini quilts? Yeah. So I don't really... I don't really ever start out with a finished size in mind. Um, anything over 30 inches freaks me out. <laughs> and I feel the need to, I, and then I, I get freaked out because I, I'm like, I can't quilt this myself. And I feel the need Got to it. quilt someone. Um, and I actually have probably three or four quilt tops in my closet that are over 30 inches that need to be quilted. And, and again, it's just me trying to be a perfectionist and knowing that I wouldn't be able to, to manhandle that through my sewing machine um, to quilt it. Um, but I usually stay in the 24 to 30 inch range, hmm. um, never really thinking about where I'm going to put it because honestly, all of my quilts are in storage boxes. I see. In my sewing closet. And my hope one day, and I don't know, I hope this doesn't sound like pompous, <laughs> but I would love to do a little retrospective of, you know, the last five years of the tattoo quilter and have it on display to see what it all looks like from when I started to where I am today. 
I love that. I think that sounds just so cool. <laughs> There's a lot of quilts that I have. Like if I go and put one away and I dig through the box, well, I have a couple of boxes and I'm like, I, I don't even remember making this. <laughs> I think about it. And I'm like, oh yeah, this was so-and-so's fabric and this was a blog tour or this is somebody's book tour or this was fabric, you know, someone gave me and then it just all starts to come back to me. So I think once I see everything laid out, it'll start to trigger like, what I was going through or what I was thinking or yeah, I think it might be fun. And with mini quilts, you can explore a lot of different techniques and options and color palettes. And I mean, there's no limits to what you can do. And that's one of the reasons why I like doing mini quilts, because just like Scrap Lab, I think it challenges you mm -hmm. to think about things differently. And you can explore things like English paper piecing, foundation paper piecing, hand quilting without the daunting task of a giant quilt. Yeah. So when you do hang quilts, maybe it's just for photography, but how do you hang them on the wall? Or, or can you give us some tips about that? So when you see my Instagram page, most of those quilts are hanging with masking tape. <gasps> the uh, horror. No. <laughs> yeah. And that's because that space that I photograph in is my dining room. Okay. Um, and my sewing space. I sew there and uh, photograph there. Um, but my, really for me, it's, it's, um, my recommendations would be, you know, the pocket and the dowel rod situation. Um, there's also a binder clip situation where you can clip it and then just hang it with some push pins. Okay. And then also, and this is when I, I had a studio out in Brooklyn a few years ago. I just used applique pins because they're thinner. <laughs> And you can just put them in the corner and they kind of disappear. Um, that is if you're not worried about, you know, damaging your quilt or anything. But applique pins, I, you could steam that hole out, I'm pretty sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. Honestly, too, like if you think about it, if you, if you go into the very corner of where your binding is, when you, you get that 90 degree, you're not, you're not really going to see it anyway. Which yes. Is Love that. Totally. All right. We're going to ask you <laughs> for tips for photography because you take amazing photos. Thank you. Um, yeah, I get asked this a lot and I, I always preface it with, I'm not an expert with photography. I didn't study photography. I have just found what works well for me and what I've learned over the years. If you dig back into my Instagram, you'll see some really terrible photographs. Um, even now, some that I take, I'm like, oh, that was really terrible, but we're all our own worst enemies. And it's super subjective, but I would say the biggest thing is lighting. Mm -hmm. Really, like lighting can make or break a photograph. And I always shoot in natural bright light and indirect bright light as well. Like you don't want it shining directly on mm -hmm. you because you're going to have shadows and hot spots and stuff. But yeah, lighting is key. And then I think the other big thing is for me, it takes practice. And I generally shoot up to 100 photos. And then what you see on my blog and Instagram might be the best 10. Wow. Wow. So do you just cycle through the photos once you're done taking them and then just see what stands out to you as being like really clear and a good composition? Or how do you choose between the 100? So I email all of the photos to myself. I do everything on my iPhone, send the photos to myself. And then I go through and pick and choose. But I also, and I know a lot of people don't have the ability to go into Photoshop. Mm -hmm. I'll upload everything into Photoshop. And I might tweak the shadows or I might tweak, you know, some of the lighting. Um, but I do minimal edits in mm. Photoshop. And I don't add any filters once it gets to Instagram because I've already edited a little bit from Photoshop. And then okay. once I go through that process, I'll narrow it down. And it's crazy. I do a untouched photo um folder and then I do a retouched photo folder 
And so when I've retouched them in Photoshop, I'll put them in that folder. Okay. So you can kind of keep track. Do you have any storage, like photo storage tips, I guess? Do you delete after a certain amount of time? Because I could imagine 100 photos per project. You might have a lot of (laughs) of space taken up by photos, maybe? So I delete all of the photos on my phone after I've sent them to myself. And then only re-email the photos that I love. And on my computer, I learned in my lesson a long time ago to have a backup. And so now I have an external hard drive that I load everything onto. Okay. Yeah. Uh, full disclosure, I'm asking this for a completely personal reason today. <laughs> today, I have been like sorting through all of the, there's videos that take up a lot of space um, and photos and getting the notification like you're almost out of space. And I feel like I just dealt with this like last month, but okay. Thank you for that. That might be worth investing in this, some sort of hard drive uh, external And you know, the reason why is this is your work. You've put Mm -hmm. so much blood, sweat, and tears into making the project, spending the time to photograph it. I love props and I love to use food as props. And so all of that takes time to curate and pull together. And I like to think of my Instagram and even somewhat my blog as my portfolio of work. So when you go to all that trouble, it's you want to save it in the place that you're going to be able to get to it whenever. And so to Mm -hmm. me, An external hard drive is great. And I usually always have it with me. So even when I'm traveling, if I go teach somewhere or I go, um, you know, on a trip, I have my external hard drive with me. And that way I can keep working. Or if somebody asks me for something while I'm traveling, I can just zip it to them really quick. Oh, nice. I love how we're delving into life tips, too. (laughs) (laughs) So glad we're talking today because I'm going to apply these things immediately. Speaking of teaching, do you have anything coming up? So I am at the Garden of Quilts. In Thanksgiving Point, it's in Utah, outside of Salt Lake City. In September, we're there the 14th through the 16th. Um, There's still room in my classes, so feel free to sign up. I'm doing two paper piece um, classes, mini quilts. Um, And I also have a trunk show. And my trunk show on the subject of mini quilts is why mini quilts? Hey! Yeah, so we're going (laughs) to dig into that and and explore that. And I'll I'll have all my quilts with me and everyone can see them up close and personal. And the timing for this is perfect. I'm so glad. And talk to me about your fabric. Yeah, so um, recently we launched Blossom, which is a new basic with Riley Blake Designs. And I'm excited to announce that this October we're going to have wide back. Oh, which I'm going to love. Yes. The long arm quilters rejoice. There is a lack of cute wide backings on the market. I think I've said it there. I've said it. (laughs) Hello, people listening. We need more wide backs. Right. Oh, awesome. It's um, our great colors, the colors that, you know, everyone's been asking for. So a lot of basic colors. Um, there's not a huge, you know, range of them, which is great. We'll see how it goes and then, um, explore from there. And then I'm also happy to announce that we're going to be adding 16 new colors to Blossom. Oh my gosh. Later this year as well. That is so great. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Blossom is so much fun and it feels like a, even with my other fabric collections, they're all babies. But this one, I, I, I just love it so much. And I love that people are so excited about it. And I love to see what people make. Um, with Blossom because it just blows my mind every time I see something. It's so easy to work with. And I think that makes it friendly to beginning quilters. I mean, it makes it user-friendly for everyone. So that's so cool. Great. 
Well, that is about all the time we have today. Thank you so much for chatting with me. We've covered a lot of ground here. Um, yeah. Anything else that you'd like to add before we sign off? No, I'm great. Thank <laughs> you for having me. I appreciate it. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. I could talk to you for an hour. Right. I'll have to come back. Yes. Oh, that would be awesome. We'll have Thanks. to do a um, we'll have to do a, a life tip um, one where we just go through all the life tips. Yeah. Life Hacks with Christopher. <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, thanks again. Okay, since Christopher has been so generous in um, solving our, all of our life's issues, I think the next question I would ask him, and maybe you guys can help me out too, what are your go-to side dishes to take when you're invited to a dinner party or a potluck and they ask for an appetizer or a side dish? I never know what to take in this situation. It's, it like um, paralyzes me with doubt and indecision. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know where that came from. But anyway, I thank you for listening once again. I'm at Threaded Quilting on Instagram. Uh, please reach out if you have any feedback for this segment, Get In Social With Jess. I hope you go forth and have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. We'll be back after this quick ad break. I'm here with Joanna Bergerino, the editor of Quilts and More for Back to Basics, a segment where we share tips and tricks about a sewing tool or technique. Joanna, what are we learning today? Today, I'm going to share with you two of my favorite tips about acrylic rulers. The first is to use the same ruler and the same sewing machine throughout the whole project. So you might not realize it, but rulers can vary slightly, and that adds up over a project. I personally like to use a ruler that has really thin lines because the thicker the lines are, the easier it is to not align your fabric exactly the same way each time just because the thick line can block your view. How about you, Lindsay? What do you usually like in a quilting ruler? So my most used ruler is the 6 by 24 inch ruler size. I don't really mess around with tiny pieces too often, so for me, having a ruler that can work with larger cuts of fabric and bigger blocks is the most helpful. That's awesome. I usually have my trusty 6 by 24 inch ruler nearby when I sew, but my most frequently used is actually a 6.5 inch square. Uh, experiment with different brands and sizes of ruler, especially at events like quilting retreats where you usually have a lot of options open to you just to test out, and decide which ones make quilting the most enjoyable for you. What works for one person might not be your favorite. Once you kind of have an idea of, you know, brand and style that you like, stick with that as often as you can, just because, again, they can vary and it's possible to, you know, have less consistent blocks if you switch around a lot. So my second ruler tip is to use washi tape or painter's tape to mark off increments on your ruler if you're going to be cutting a lot of a particular size. So for example, I'm working on a project right now with more than 100 flying geese units and all of the rectangles I'm cutting are the same size. So it just makes my life easier to mark off that particular size with the tape. So I don't have to think about aligning it as closely each time. I can just line it up to the tape. When I'm done cutting the pieces, I can easily remove the tape so it's not you know, permanently changing my ruler. Plus, the washi tape usually has really pretty patterns on it, and it makes my ruler pretty, and that just makes me happy. Yeah, I've used the washi tape trick when I'm cutting sizes of blocks that have a weird size. Like, maybe it's a 
quarter of an inch or three eighths because mm-hmm. it's sometimes hard to figure that out on your ruler. So by aligning it with the tape, it makes it easier to cut those weird size shapes. Right. And one of the worst things is when you're cutting a lot of something and you realize like, oh, shoot, that was the two inch mark and I needed two and a half. And then suddenly you have to start over. So. Yeah. Thanks so much for those tips, Joanna. If you have a topic you'd like Joanna to explore, please reach out to us by email at apqpodcast at meredith.com. I'm here with Allison, the designer of Quilts and More for Quilting Changes Everything, a segment where we share stories of quilters making a difference in their communities. What stories do you have for us this week, Allison? So I have a couple of great heartwarming stories for you today. So this first story comes from the Grantham Journal, which is out of the UK. Debbie Winged, a woman who is from the area, came up with a very generous sewing project based on her own medical experience. In March 2018, Debbie went in for her first mammogram and was diagnosed with breast cancer. Shortly thereafter, she underwent surgery and was sent home. Since she still needed to drain fluids after the surgery, she was given a bag to hold the drain and disguise the contents. The bag she was given was brightly colored and had a long handle so she could comfortably wear the bag over her shoulder and still use both of her hands. After speaking with a nurse, she found out that hospitals rely on people donating these bags specifically for this purpose. And knowing what an impact the one bag had on her, Debbie decided to make sure that others had a similar experience. Debbie had never sewn in her life, but was determined to learn how so she could make bags to donate to hospitals. After taking several sewing lessons, she was well on her way to making a difference. She started making Dignity Drain Bags and was able to get other sewers in the community involved. In order to raise awareness, she set up a Facebook page so others could contribute to the project. In addition to the drain bags, people started sewing small heart-shaped comfort cushions, which are used to place under the arm after surgery to help relieve pressure. The cushions can also be worn under seatbelts to help make riding in the car more comfortable. Through Debbie's efforts and help from generous people throughout the community, Dignity Drain Bags have been able to donate to several hospitals in the area. Debbie said, My aim is that no one will leave the hospital without a Dignity Drain Bag and comfort pillow. We recently had a request from a lady who's due to have a mastectomy, and we sent her a bag and pillow to go in her hospital bag. Our bags and cushions are made with love and give dignity during a very difficult time. If you'd like to join in Debbie's generosity, you can search for Dignity Drain Bags on Facebook. They're always in need of more sewing fairies, as Debbie calls them, to sew bags and cushions, uh, but to also donate fabric and stuffing. Wow, I, I think this is one of those things where if you've never been through something like this or have known somebody that goes through this, you don't know these items are needed. So thanks for yeah. telling us about Debbie's mission. Yeah, I, yeah, it's something I didn't know about, but it's such a great idea. All right, so our next story today uh, was originally reported by the Murfreesboro Post. So Barbara Bell, a Murfreesboro, Tennessee resident, has made over 500 quilts for charity, which is pretty impressive considering she had no idea how to quilt until 2004. Barbara donates her quilts to people of all ages. Quilts for adults go to Tennessee Oncology, and quilts for children go to the Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault Center. For the quilts that are donated to children, Barbara likes to hide animals and other items in the quilts for the kids to find. She includes a list of the items she's hidden to help the kids find the various things in the quilts. Growing up in Brooklyn, New York, Barbara learned a lot from the close-knit blue-collar community. 
people would often just sit around knitting and crocheting, and this is where she picked up some of her techniques. She ran a drape business in Rochester, New York for 12 years, so she had experience with sewing, but quilting was a new endeavor for her. Before she started quilting in 2004, Barbara never thought she'd have the patience to quilt. But then she had grandchildren, and of course, it was a good excuse to make some quilts. So to get started, she checked out approximately 60 books from the library in order to teach herself how to quilt. And now she spends between 40 and 60 hours sewing every week. Usually takes her about 40 hours to make a quilt, as long as it's not too complicated. She said when she finds herself getting bored, she likes to try out new techniques. Barbara found out that it was difficult trying to sell quilts that she was making because people didn't want to pay enough. And she said, if I were to sell a quilt for $175, that would average to about $3 per hour. Um, So she wasn't willing to do that. But she decided to quilt as a ministry. She wanted to use her skills to help serve others. She started a quilting ministry at her church where members help her with her quilts. Since she can't afford to buy all of the fabric that she needs, she relies a lot on donations, which has helped immensely. And at the time that this article came out, which was in the beginning of July, Barbara had made and donated 501 quilts for charity and is continuing to sew more and more. 500 quilts in 15 years is crazy. Yeah, I, it's kind of unfathomable. I can't even imagine making that many quilts. Yeah, and <laughs> kudos to her for checking out all those books from the library. Yeah, I guess 2004 was probably before YouTube was popular. You yeah. could take, you know, online quilting classes. Yeah. So great for her to donate all of her time and uh, her materials to make those quilts. Yes, definitely an awesome lady. Thanks for sharing, Allison. Before we leave today, I just want to mention an amazing subscription offer that we have for our podcast listeners. Our podcast listeners can get 60% off a year's subscription to American Patchwork and Quilting. So if you've been wanting to get one or it's on your birthday or holiday wish list, visit our show notes. It's um, on the top of the page in our show notes. You can find all the info to take advantage of this offer.